In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Having just told Jesus that we believe that we are in his presence, that he sees me, that he's paying attention to me, let's remind ourselves of a central belief about our identity as Christians, a belief that arises from the way that we should read Scripture. Reading Scripture as a place where we find out who we are. And that is that Jesus says to you and to me, Come, follow me. They're very familiar words. It's a phrase that we've read, that we've heard many, many times. But right now as we try to pray, right now as we set aside this time to be recollected, to not be caught up and distracted by the things that normally occupy our attention, let's really try to take these words seriously. Come, follow me. He's saying it to me. When I hear that, if I really try to take it seriously, what do I imagine this to involve? What's the destination? Right? I mean, taking it seriously means literally Jesus is saying, follow me, we're going somewhere. Where are we going? The consolation, obviously, is I have him right in front of me. He's right with me. I'm not going on my own, but Lord, where are we going? What is this going to look like and feel like? Well, I think if we kind of are like, oh gosh, I don't know. Well, that's good. <laughs> we need to really take this question seriously and listen to Scripture, not for a very specific, precise answer, but for guidance of what an answer for each one of us, because it's going to be unique in each of our cases what an answer would look like. And Jesus says in St. John's Gospel, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I came that they may have life and have it to the full. In its outline, each one of us has to fill in the detail, but in its outline, this is what following Jesus looks like, feels like, and involves. He gives us light so that we will not be in the darkness of ignorance, alienation, loneliness, and confusion, but he gives us light so that he might understand why we exist, the purpose and the meaning of our lives so that we can be liberated to live it, and this is why Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So we can think now in our prayer, what is excellent? What is beautiful? What is true? 
What is your heart genuinely longing for? The kinds of things that we look around in the lives of other people, the people who believe, the people who don't believe, that they, we say, that's, that's really excellent. The way that person is generous, her patience, his ability to sacrifice, her ability to work with excellence and precision and diligence and constancy, his capacity to give of himself in a generous way. These are the kind we can make a longer list. But these sorts of things we look around, we say, well, that's, that's part of life. That's life to the full. And when Jesus is saying, come follow me, he's calling me in that direction. He's not just taking me, kind of sucking me out of this world and into life in some sort of luminous, ethereal, heavenly life. But come follow me. I who am perfect man, Jesus can tell us. Jesus, who first and foremost lived life to the full. You know, live life to the full, we might, I'm sorry, that might be a kind of a cliche phrase, you know, live life to the full, you know, we have our bucket list, and, you know, I've been to all these wonderful holidays and done these amazing things, and, you know, Jesus, when he says Jesus lived life to the full, he didn't do it that way, you know, like going skydiving and all, you know, these kinds of extravagant things. It wasn't a, a kind of a Red Bull commercial kind of life to the full in terms of adrenaline but what it fully means to be human with his mind with his heart with his emotions and that fundamentally capacity to love growing in an ability to live this kind of life is what following christ means and it is what is involved in our christian vocation and i'd like you to spend the next the next bit the next while and just in our prayer now trying to just reflect on this and understand this do i appreciate that following jesus christ means and is a calling for me to be as fully human as i can be to grow in those excellences that I see in other people, to learn them, to practice them. Now, as I say this, just to kind of clarify this at the very beginning, I want to learn these excellences and practice them not so that I might be saved. That is a huge mistake to think in those terms. Growing in the virtues, the habits, becoming, really developing our humanity in that way is not what gets God to love me. His love precedes anything that I do. His salvation is completely independent of anything that I can achieve or not achieve. But as we'll come back to consider here in a moment, it's precisely the gratuity of his love, of his salvation, that liberates me to learn, to develop, to grow, to take that amazing gift that he's given to me, which is my life. Not simply as a biological fact, but as a spiritual possibility, something that might be. And he's entrusted me with it. Again, not as a burdensome, onerous assignment or examination, but as a gift and a saying, come on. I want you to be my child. I want you to be free. I want you to develop this. Develop this, if that's the right way to put it. 
St. Josemaria, many, many times throughout his life, would use this kind of very pithy phrase to describe Christian vocation. He would say that in order to belong to God, in order to be very supernatural, we have to be very human. And if you just think about that, there's lots and lots and lots of consequences that follow. In other words, one is that we shouldn't think of a life of prayer, a life of grace. It's kind of this very long pole by which we can catapult over the need to get better in our work, to learn how to listen better as a friend, to overcome my fear of discomfort and my tendency to procrastinate and all of these challenges that all of us face. We can't just say, oh, well, you know, I pray and God loves me, so I'm grand. You know? That's not following Christ who's bringing us to the fullness of life. That's staying back. That's cowering. That's being afraid of the gift of life that God is calling each one of us to try the best of our abilities and with our own lights to say, let's see where I can take this. I want to invest the talents that God has given me. I don't want to bury them. I don't want to hide them in fear. And to think about this, it, it might be helpful to contrast a little bit. And here I'd like to reach back to kind of some uh, classical literature a little bit. To contrast the way kind of pagans would see this idea of life versus Christians. What do we bring in that's new as Christians? When I say pagan, I'm just to make it easy to talk about the Romans and the Greeks, generally. I think all of us have heard this phrase before of carpe diem, right? This Latin phrase, seize the day, right? Now, as a, we can all of us, you know, seize the day, make the most of the day. It's kind of like nice proverb, good adage, good life advice. But for a pagan, that meant something very specific. And what it meant was life is very, very short. When it ends, it's over. It's all you get. So any little bit in this kind of dreary life that's enjoyable, you better jump on it and enjoy the heck out of it because it's all you got. <laughs> kind of reminds me a little bit about sunny days here in Ireland. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, that's our pagan experience of carpe diem, right? Because there's something, when that day happens, there's something almost painfully tragic about it. Like, you know it's there, and I've got to just get outside. I've got to, you know, do whatever I can. This is the day, because, I don't know. <laughs> it may be a while before we get another one, right? There's this sense. But, you know, you contrast that with someone who lives in southern Spain, someone who would live in the Caribbean, you know, hey, it's sunny outside. And he'll say, well, yeah, it's okay. It'll be sunny tomorrow and the day after that. And... It's great, I love it, I enjoy it, but there's not this kind of anxiety of, I gotta seize this, I hope I can get this. There's a sense of, I'm able to enjoy this, but I'm not uptight about it. Now, we look, at the same time, the person from Southern Spain, the person from Caribbean, he enjoys the sun. <laughs> he knows how to enjoy the good weather, but he's a little bit freer to experience it as a gift, in a sense. Now, if we can use that idea to think about our own life, our own human nature, 
we believe that God has given us this gift and that it doesn't end with biological death that we are given eternal life. And then when Jesus says, I have come to have life and have life to the full, he's also talking about that eternity, that it doesn't just end when we flatline here. But that doesn't mean that we aren't interested in everything that we can live in this life. It just puts it in a broader context. Now, that means that one of the things that we can still learn from the people who, even though they don't have that ultimate hope, still could see the importance of what we have in this life. And to do that, I'd like to read a letter from a, a Stoic philosopher who also happened to be a Roman emperor by the name of Marcus Aurelius. I'm sure you've heard of him. And he wrote a, a number of meditations and a lot of considerations on life. And, and he, uh, some of the things that we could actually, I think, identify with especially the advice he gives for people who find it difficult to get out of bed in the morning. Now, this is interesting to know. This is something that Roman philosophers grappled with. <laughs> they tried to give advice. They tried to encourage. And just to consider what he says, he's writing to a friend of his who's got getting out of bed in the morning issues. Right? So he writes in this letter. He says, At dawn, when you have trouble getting out of bed, Tell yourself, I have to go to work as a human being. What do I have to complain of if I'm doing what I was born for? The things I was brought into the world to do? Or is this what I was created for? To huddle under the blankets and stay warm? So you were born to feel nice? Instead of doing things and experiencing them, don't you see the plants, the birds, the ants and spiders and bees going about their individual tasks, putting the world in order as best they can? And you're not willing to do your job as a human being? Why aren't you running to do what your nature demands? This ends the speech. Now, this would probably be a hard speech for us to remember when we wake up in the morning and say to ourselves, but it's the idea, obviously. And then Marcus Aurelius, he kind of rounds it off with this consideration to his friend. He says, you don't love yourself enough, or you'd love your nature too, and what it demands of you. In itself, it's a very, very helpful insight. You don't love yourself enough. In other words, you don't appreciate human life enough in terms of the potential of what you have as a possibility. And look around you, even ants start moving around and look what they're able to do and, and bees and all these other sorts of animals that get about it, but you're just trying to feel nice and stay warm and you don't want to get out of the bed because it's cold and you're tired. And as a result of that fear of being uncomfortable, that, that life that you have is staying stuck. It's not going anywhere. You're not developing it. When we follow Jesus Christ, who is the light, who comes to bring us the fullness of life, that faith, let's come back to waking up in the morning. This is what St. Marcus, not St. Marcus Aurelius, <laughs> far from it actually, if you read his life. Uh, what Marcus Aurelius was saying, we bring 
that light of Jesus Christ. And what does that light tell us? It tells us that your life and mine is not simply a fact, it's just the result of biological reality. It's a gift. You don't have to exist, but God gratuitously created you and me because he wanted to. And he's given you to yourself as a gift. And he wants you to develop that gift, not so that you can earn his love, as I said before, not as the price that you pay in order to be saved and enjoy his joy and his peace for all eternity. But once I understand that my life is gift, getting out of bed in the morning and getting about my business and striving and learning actually becomes gratitude in a way. This phrase that we hear as Christians about glorifying God, and we hear it because we read it in the Psalms and all of these sorts of things, glorifying God is me living the gift that I have received. On the outside, that may look a lot like what people who don't have any faith do. And in fact, I have a lot to learn from people who don't have any faith because they've gotten pretty good at living this gift. The only thing is they don't live it as a gift. They just live it as a challenge or something that gives them purpose or the meaning that they can have or whatever it may be. But I have even more reason to take that gift and live it. But unlike the nervousness of the pagan, the carpe diem, this is all I've got, I've got to be uptight about it. I better get out of bed because I might be dead tomorrow and then it's all over. I can engage in that same striving, not with anxiety, but with gratitude. And that gratitude also allows me to not get upset when I see my shortcomings and my weaknesses, my failures, and yes, my sins, my rejecting of that gift. Again, turning back to St. Maria, and he was a saint, <laughs> like a our emperor, going back in one of his, uh, in a homily, he spoke about these human qualities, these human virtues. And in that homily, he said the following. He said, in this world of ours, there are many people who neglect God. It may be that they have not had an opportunity to listen to his words or that they have forgotten them. Nevertheless, their human dispositions are honest, loyal, compassionate, and sincere. I would go so far as to say that anyone possessing such qualities is ready to be generous with God because human virtues constitute the foundation for the supernatural virtues. So what St. Josemaria is saying is that a person who's developing that gift, whether she understands it or not, a person as a gift, a person who is developing that sincerity, that honesty, those virtues and excellences, is already knocking on heaven's door, is already opening themselves to the possibility of God. That's important for you and me in the way that we live our own lives to see the importance of developing these talents that we've received. But it's also, and just to consider very quickly, because we don't have much time, consider very quickly, it's also important to consider how we look at the people that we work with, 
the people that you study with, family members. Fine, there may be people, many people around you who do not believe, people who don't participate in the life of the church. But if they are loyal, compassionate, sincere, hardworking, generous, willing to sacrifice, they're much closer than they think. And maybe they're closer than we think. And even if you look at it in another way, anything that we can do to help them grow in those capacities is already in itself a nudging them closer to God, preparing them to discover the gift, to receive that light that Jesus has come to call, give us that we might have life to the full. As Christians, as people who hear Jesus Christ saying to us, come, follow me. Let's receive the fullness of that call. And receiving the fullness of that call says, Lord, I want to grow and learn and practice these virtues as much as I can. I want to make following you attractive, even from a human point of view. Now, to do that, there's a lot of different things we could say, and like I said, we have very few minutes, but to do that, I just want to bring it to one very, very important point to get us started. We'll come back uh, later this evening, and we'll have time tomorrow as well to consider on other points, but I just want to come to one very simply, and it's this. We will experience the freedom to follow Jesus in the fullness of life to the degree that we overcome our fear of suffering. Well, suffering sounds too dramatic. Let's not use the word suffering. Let's just say our fear of being uncomfortable, stretched, awkward even. Okay? Because if you just think about it for a moment, it is that unwillingness to be uncomfortable, to face something that I'm not sure about, to be insecure. It is that unwillingness that keeps us where we are. It keeps our human nature buried. It keeps those talents from being invested. Again, St. Josemaria, one of the points from this book that he wrote, The Way. I want you to be happy on earth, he says. In heaven, obviously, but on earth too. I want you to be happy now on earth. And you will not be happy if you don't lose that fear of suffering. For as long as we are wayfarers, it is precisely in suffering that our happiness lies. Now, he brings in that final paradox, not because we're saying, oh yeah, you know, suffering is happy. No, what he's bringing in is that when we love, when we commit ourselves to doing something that matters, necessarily we will encounter resistance, difficulties, and obstacles. But since we're loving, since we're doing something for someone or for some purpose that we love, those difficulties, obstacles, and resistance, we embrace it. We almost get energized by it. Well, we have to, what we see maybe in isolated cases when we're buying, you know, someone's birthday or a special event or an anniversary or whatever the case may be, we need to see that also in all sorts of areas of our life, the possibilities that we have to grow and to learn and to follow our Lord who is the fullness of life. 
and for us to do this with the certainty of knowing that we are God's children. It's that certainty that needs to motivate us. Not a willing, not a desire to be loved, but the certainty that we are loved is the greatest and most powerful motivation that we can have to develop the treasure that we have received, this gift of our humanity. Speaking of this confidence of knowing ourselves loved, just listen to St. Paul, what he says in the letter to the Romans. What are we then to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul just runs out of things to put on the list. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. So, why would I be afraid? What do I have to lose? Aren't I then free to turn outwards and face my hesitancies, my insecurities, my fears, those things that I flee from and avoid, the things that prevent me from living life to the full? Another Stoic philosopher, Seneca, has a quite famous quote from one of his letters as well, where he defines the fool in this way. He says, the fool, with all his other faults, has this also. He is always getting ready to live. Always getting ready. Tomorrow, got this plan, went to this great talk, heard this brilliant podcast, read this book, had this great chat, did these sorts of things. So next week, (laughs) I'll be ready. Well, our Lord is saying to you and to me, come follow me. Not next week, not next month. Now. And since we know that nothing can separate us from his love, not even death, no power on earth or in heaven, I could not imagine a greater certainty a greater certainty that will allow me to very realistically look at my shortcomings and my strengths, my weaknesses and my abilities, my circumstances in what they offer of opportunity and what there is there of obstacle and closed doors, and to say, okay, in all of this, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I don't want to plan on doing this. I want to start doing it one day. And the other beautiful thing, with this we end our prayer, about this invitation of Christ to come follow me is that you do it one step and then another and then another. We follow him walking in this way. It's not all at once. It doesn't happen today to tomorrow. But what does need to happen and we need to remind ourselves again is that it has to start. It has to start again. And that is one of the most beautiful experiences that we can have of God's mercy is that ability to start 
again. Let's do that today as we've come and set ourselves this time for prayer and reflection. My God, for the good resolutions, factions, and inspirations you communicated to me in this meditation, I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.